All right. We are going to be talking about evangelism today, which is always a fun subject. But before we do that, let's go ahead and open up in prayer. God, we thank you for who you are, the fact that you are the God of the universe. You are our creator. You are the one who has laid down your life for us and redeemed us from our wickedness. And we can never thank you enough for that. God, we praise you for for who you are. We pray that you would help us to have a a better understanding of that constantly, a better understanding of who we are um, in Adam and who we have become in Christ through your adoption. God, we pray that as we look at the subject of evangelism, that you would pierce our hearts, that you would cause us to, to see and to understand even more fully the beauty of salvation, and that we would be challenged and encouraged and emboldened to share that faith with others who don't know that, with those who are currently enemies of God, who hate you, God. We pray that you would give us a a strength and a love and a passion for the lost. God, we thank you once again and pray that as we look in your word, that you would just guide us and that you would bless us. God, thank you for this church, for the body of people that are here, for the fact that we can come together and we can gather here in person. You are such a good God and we are so blessed. Amen. All right, so the gospel is something we've talked about several times before. Hopefully you guys hear the gospel on a regular basis um, in the sermons that are preached in Sunday school classes, um, in your own extra reading and listening. So you guys are experts on the gospel, right? You guys have heard hundreds of sermons, many of you. Um, So you guys should be able to explain the gospel. So can I get a volunteer to tell us what the gospel is in 60 seconds or less? Good old Trav. We are sinners against the Holy God that created all things from nothing. All right, that's, that's good. Anybody else? The gospel in 60 seconds or less. That wasn't bad, that wasn't wrong. Um, anybody else want to take a stab at it? Yes, Anna. the the vital aspects in there. It's a little hot. Um, So, yeah, God is holy. We are not. We're fallen, sinful humans. He paid the the penalty that we deserve. He died and suffered on the cross. He was resurrected again. It's an important aspect that's often left out of evangelism. Um, And 
we can be saved by repenting and believing in him. That's a really foundational version of the gospel. Jeremy. Define. Yes. Yep. Yeah, so all throughout the whole presentation on gospel, there are different definitions that have been taken and really perverted by people who are not Christians, by different false religions, cultist groups, um, atheists and agnostics. And they'll take and they'll say, well, God is, is something different entirely. Or grace is something different entirely. Grace means that, that you don't work. Romans eleven six says, and if it is by grace, and it is no longer by works, if it were, then grace is no longer grace. And so when you take and you change the definition of grace and you add works, according to Romans eleven six, you are changing what grace is. You are changing the gospel. Um, if you misdefine who Jesus is, you're changing the gospel. Um, if we misunderstand how it is that he redeemed us, that he didn't have to die in our place. He didn't have to sacrifice himself on the cross, but rather he just had to agonize a little bit. He had to suffer, and that took place in the garden. That changes the gospel because the wages of sin is what? It is death, right? That is what we owe. That is what we deserve for our transgressions against a holy, perfect God. Um, not a little bit of suffering, not a little bit of pain, but death. And that is what Christ himself took on for our behalf. All right, a couple other uh, misconceptions about evangelism I want to go through about sharing the gospel. Um, sharing the gospel isn't inviting somebody to church. It's good to invite somebody to church, and it can be beneficial. They can come here and they can hear more about Christ. Um, they can grow in the knowledge of the truth of God's word and hear the gospel, but inviting somebody to church in and of itself is not sharing the gospel. Um, talking to somebody about Jesus or simply mentioning the name of Jesus isn't in and of itself sharing the gospel. Again, not a bad thing to do, but that's not what we're talking about when we're talking about sharing the gospel, when we're talking about sharing our faith. Um, being involved in some kind of political rally often can be misunderstood as, as sharing the gospel, um, doing some kind of service, some kind of community service project, um, and we think, oh, well, if I'm wearing a church shirt while I do it, I'm out there, I'm sharing the gospel. Again, not bad things to do, not what we're talking about when we're talking about sharing the gospel. Um, sharing your personal testimony. Again, that's a great thing to do, to let somebody know how God has taken and saved you out of your sin, out of the, the depth and the, the mire of your life, and he has taken and transformed you and and giving you new life through Christ and his sacrifice. But until you let somebody else know, hey, you are also in the same position that I was in. You're in the same boat that I was in because we are all sinners. We all fall short of God's glory. We are all in need of redemption. Then at that point, you're sharing the gospel, but not up until that point. Um, then also just engaging in apologetics, which is defending the faith great thing to do, and it often accompanies um, sharing the gospel, but that in and of itself is not sharing the gospel. Um, oftentimes, even people that I really like, people that I agree with in their apologetic method, they will engage in this act of apologetics to defend the faith, to point out 
holes in somebody else's worldview, but then they will neglect to bring in the gospel. They won't mention the cross. They won't mention how, how Christ has paid the penalty that we owe, um, how he resurrected on our behalf for our justification. These are vital aspects to evangelism that must be included in all these different things. Talking about Jesus, inviting people to church, engaging in apologetics, they can be great in accompanying your gospel presentation, your evangelism, but in and of themselves, they are not evangelism. So, throughout today and into next week, we're going to be talking about evangelism for two weeks. We want you guys to be able to ask questions, to engage, to offer hopefully have opportunity to to practice like um travis and somebody else did doing a great job oh anna in presenting the gospel um practice is is great that's how we get better at something a group of us went out yesterday to practice shooting so that we could get better at shooting it's not something that you're just going to be good at right off the bat you need to to practice and so this is a, a good safe place where we can come together and we can practice um, what it means to evangelize, what it means to share the gospel. Um, last year, we read about, um, and all the time, really, we're reading about people who are falling away from the faith, um, who are, quote-unquote, losing their faith and denouncing Christ. So we read about Josh Harris last year. Um, earlier this year, it was Rhett and Link, right, popular internet people. You guys might not know these people or be familiar, but they are people who once professed Christ and no longer do. And then just last week, a lead singer from some Christian group, Hawk Nelson, denounced his faith. And he came out with a a few very basic, simple reasons as to why he did that. Um, He said, well, I just can't understand in my mind why there'd be so much pain and struggle and suffering in this world, if God is all good and all powerful. So, how would you guys, as professional Christians who have heard the gospel hundreds of times, respond to that? Andy. Amen. So that's a a great example of how apologetics can tie into evangelism, how engaging in this conversation, answering questions, defending the faith can and should tie into evangelism um, to bring out, to highlight these points of of contention that really focus and and center around the gospel of Christ. It all has to do with with our sin, and that sin was paid for by Christ. Uh, Another objection that he raised was in his mind, the inconsistency of the God of the Old Testament and the God of the New Testament, how does that work together? Um, 
that seemingly this this God of the Old Testament, and this is a common objection, he's a, a violent, wrathful God who just wants to rain down judgment on the earth. And then Jesus comes along and he seems to be very humble and gracious and loving and kind. How do we respond to that as Christians? Jeremy. Amen. Expound. <laughs> All right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so first of all, reading your Bible and then having a proper understanding of proper hermeneutic, the, the Bible study method of interpretation as you're reading your Bible is important to that. Um, so going back to the Old Testament, showing no, God is, is gracious in the Old Testament, and this is how. Um, even showing that Jesus has, has wrath, justice, righteous anger in the New Testament. He was in there flipping over the tables in the, the temple, and that was, that was good, right? He, he never sinned. That he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. That there is one God um, from eternity past to eternity future, from everlasting to everlasting. He is the same, and he does not change. And to, to bring that out, to draw that out, um, and again, to tie that into the gospel. Is this God who is holy? Is this God who we're accountable to? Is this God that we've sinned against? Um, the final objection that this most recent, um, I guess, convert out of Christianity. You remember that... Um, I think it's John says that they went out from us because they were never of us. Um, so this most recent person to denounce Christ, his final complaint was that God is always always killing things, and that didn't seem right to him. Um, he's always killing animals. He's killing um, Ammonites and Philistines, and even his own son he killed, and, and he, he slaughtered. Why is that? Over here. I've been looking over there a lot. They got answers, they, they do. But anybody over here have a thought before I go back to Jerry? You guys are too nice to Jerry. All right, Jerry. It's mm-hmm. yeah. yeah, and often a, a good way to get people to see that is to reframe it for them. Um, Romans chapter 2 uses a, a court setting. Um, lots of Paul's language uses a court setting, justification, redemption. These are all... Um, court-like terms that he he uses. And so if we 
reset, reframe that for somebody else and just say, well, what if somebody sinned against you in this way? Um, would it be okay for the judge to, to simply write that off and to forgive it? No, it needs to be paid for. It needs to be atoned for. And the wages of sin is death. And that's why we have to have a, an animal sacrifice in the Old Testament. But that wasn't sufficient. That wasn't good enough. The, the blood of goats and bulls wasn't good enough to, to cover our sins. That's why Christ had to offer a perfect sacrifice in covering our sins. Um, and once again, you jump into the gospel. But tying it back into the, the link between apologetics and evangelism, you can go back and you can even challenge their, their premise, their presupposition, where they start from. They're the ones who are judging God. They're the ones who are saying, well, God is bad, and, and I am good. I am the arbiter of truth, and I'm the one who's sitting back, and I'm saying, that is bad, and that is good. And as Annie mentioned, we can't even define good and bad without a starting place in the Bible. We don't know what good and bad is unless we have an objective truth that we can appeal to. And we shouldn't set ourselves up and establish ourselves as the judge. God and God alone is the judge, and we need to appeal to him. All right, I got a quote here from Mark Dever um, from Nine Marks of a Healthy Church about uh, misconceptions of sharing the gospel. <clears throat> he says, evangelism is not making a making of proselytes. It is not persuading people to make a decision. It is not proving that God exists or making a good case for the truth of Christianity. It is not inviting someone to a meeting. It is not exposing the contemporary dilemma or arousing interest in Christianity. It is not wearing a badge saying, Jesus saves. Some of these things are right and good in their place, but none of them should be confused with evangelism. To evangelize is to declare on the authority of God what he has done to save sinners, to warn men of their lost condition, to direct them to repent, and to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul in, in his approach to evangelism, he would go out and he would meet people, he would find people, and he would pique their interest, and then he would engage them and um, talk with them, to reason with them and dispute with them, to, to get them to come to this point of, of understanding, and then he would present the gospel. Yes, Anna. Uh, it was it was saying yeah. So Romans four says that just in, is it four? It's five. Talks about how um, Adam sinned, and we were in Adam as he sinned. Romans one says that whatever can be known about God is made plain to us because He has made it plain to us. For since the beginning of the world, His invisible qualities, eternal power, and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made. So we can look out at, at creation. We can see there is a God. Like I'm I'm not that God. I'm not the one who who made all this, there's somebody who is above me and he has placed within us an understanding of himself. And so if we're going to take that at, at its word, then we know, okay, yes, we are, we're sinners and God has made plain to us the fact that we're sinners and the fact that he is God. And we suppress that truth is what Romans 1 says. We, we push it down in our unrighteousness because we would rather embrace our sin than submit and repent and, and come to a God who, who tells us to come to him. Any other thoughts? Yes.
the quote, declare on the authority of God. I don't know where that's at. That was a long quote. And my eyes. Oh, okay. To evangelize is to declare on the authority of God what he has done to save sinners. To warn men of their lost condition. To direct them to repent. And to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. So focusing, again, on the authority of God. So using scripture, because we, in and of ourselves, we have no authority. So I can say one thing, Andy, Jeremy, Dean, they can all say something else, and they're not going to match up. But if we are appealing to God's authority, God's word, then it means something. And it's based on the authority of God that we want to point people to Jesus, to his ability to save, and to what it is that he has called us to do, to repent, to to confess, to have a, a change of mind that results in a change of action. That's what repent means, to have an understanding that, yes, I'm not God, and, and I need God. I need a Savior because I am truly in, in my flesh. I am wicked, and I am sinful. Um, I am an enemy of God and in utter need of him. Yes, Mary? Nine Marks of a Healthy Church. Uh, he's got another book called like Evangelism and uh, Personal Evangelism or something along those lines. Mark Dever is his name. Um, there you go. Jeremy's got it right next door for you if you need. Any other thoughts or questions? All right. Um, misappropriation of the gospel. I think this is something that is very easy for us to do in, in our current culture, in our day and age, to not present the fullness of the gospel, but to leave out certain aspects that we see as um, ugly or they're just, they're icky for some reason, right? We don't want to mention um, blood. We don't want to mention sacrifice or, or repentance. I come from a background that diminished the, the understanding of the definition of repentance, um, different, what are other aspects? Just just death and um, guilt, hell. Yeah, different things that, that we can not include in our evangelism because it doesn't make people feel good. But God hasn't called us to come out and to, to make people feel good. He's called us to preach the truth. He's called us as his ambassadors to share with people. And truly, if we want to love on people, we need to share with them the truth, not to make them feel good, not to make them all fluttery, but if we're not sharing with them the full gospel, then we're really doing them a disservice because, because that's not truth at all, and um, that's going to lead them down a, a road that ultimately leads to hell, and if we're not telling them about it, that's not love in the slightest. The, the law and the gospel really go, go hand in hand, and, and they have kind of an interesting relationship because the law doesn't lead us to, well, we don't come to Christ by obedience to the law, but the law does lead us to Christ. The law tells us to be holy, but then it tells us that we're not holy. And we're, we've been seeing that all throughout the book of Deuteronomy, right? That this is the law, but we see, well, we can't keep it. We're not able to, to raise the standard that God has placed before us. He's called us to be perfect as his Father in heaven is perfect, and we can't do that. That is impossible. But the gospel says you need to be holy, and Christ has made you holy. 
And so that's the difference between the law and the gospel. The law is meant to show us where we fall short. It's meant to to lead us to an understanding of the truth. Romans 3.20 says that it's so that every mouth may be silenced and the whole world held accountable to God so that by the law we may become conscious or aware of our sin. So we can look up and we can see in a mirror, well, that's what the law says and, and I fall short. Oh, wow, that's what the law says and, and I don't do that. I'm, I'm in need, right? I fall short. Um, I handed out some passages to you guys. Will somebody read Romans 7, 7 through 12, the one who I gave that little strip to? I think I gave them all out. So, yep. Yeah. Yep, came to divide, even with that own household, a daughter against mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. Um, the gospel is divisive, so we need to keep that in mind. Good. All right, who did I give that strip to? Romans 7. All right, go ahead. So the law is is holy. The commandment is holy, righteous, and just. It is good. Um, It helps us to see our need. It helps us to see our sin. Paul said, I wouldn't even know what it was to to covet, that it was a sin to covet until the law came along and it showed me that that I am covetousness. And the law provided an an opportunity to sin. It it made sin even more sinly. It made it uglier. It made him understand the, the depth of his sin. All right, who got the passages in 1 Timothy? 1 Timothy 1, 8 through 11 and 6, 20. All right, you're good. Yeah, if you guys got a, a strip, why don't you turn there now? Um, and you guys can turn along and, and follow along as we're reading, but.
right? So that was Paul saying he was entrusted with this gospel, the gospel that um, is is proven good by the law. And then six twenty. All right. So Paul was entrusted with this gospel. He turned around. He entrusted it to Timothy with this gospel, um, who was then supposed to entrust it to other faithful men, to entrust it with the, to other faithful men. And, and we've been entrusted with this gospel as ambassadors of Christ. We are the ones who are to entrust that to others. Um, and it's a, a gospel that is founded in a, a true understanding of the law, understanding that the law doesn't make us righteous, but the law points to the fact that we are unrighteous. And when we have a, a good, better understanding of that, then uh, we'll be better able to communicate to others their need for a Savior. Um, what's your name? Uh, <laughs> my buddy, yes, Joseph. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, I do need coffee. I'm going to ha- get a headache here in a couple hours. Joseph, <laughs> will you read for us that quote that I gave you from John Calvin? <laughs> yeah. All right. End quote. Thank you. <laughs> Sorry I forgot your name, Joseph. Um, so the the law does have an ability to to bring us down. Even the most proud person is going to be humbled by the law. Um, and, and that's what we need. We need to be humbled. We need to be poor in spirit before we can come to Christ, before we can have a true understanding of who we are, of our need for Him. And one popular method of evangelism, of sharing your faith, um, popularized by Ray Comfort, is to use the law to draw that out, to pierce the conscience, and to help people to, to see their need for the law. Uh, a few years ago, I was teaching a youth class, and we went through um, Ray's method, and we have little cards that we printed out. This is like three years old. It's still in my wallet. Um, but it works really well for helping you to, to remember how to follow this method of evangelism that he uses. If you've ever listened to him, he's like a, a broken record. Same thing. He has, uh, when he enters into a conversation, he knows what he's going to say. He knows where he's going to lead and direct that conversation. And it'll vary slightly. But he wants people to, to go to the law and to see their need for a savior. 
So, uh, Walker, I remembered your name. I'm, I'm glad I remembered your name. Walker, would you consider yourself to be a good person? Yeah? Okay. Uh, let's, let's test that. Let's line that up against the Ten Commandments. Do you think that you've kept the Ten Commandments? No? Okay, good. That, that's not the normal answer you would get out on the street. Most people say, ah, I've, I've done okay. I'm not too bad. And so you can proceed and you can ask them, well, have you ever lied? They're like, oh, I've, I've lied once or twice. Well, what do you call somebody who's lied? Well, you call them a liar. That, that's right. Have you ever stolen anything? Even something small, something from a sibling maybe. Well, yeah. I mean, back in the day, I'm not like a, a massive thief, but I've stolen stuff. Okay, so, so you're a thief. You're not a massive thief, but you're a thief. So um, you're a liar. You're a thief. Um, have you ever murdered anybody? No. And hopefully they say no. Um, <laughs> and... And then you can point out the fact, I'll get to you in a second, Anna. You can point out the fact that um, Jesus in Matthew 5, he says, even if you've hated your brother in your heart, then that's the same as murdering somebody. And then if you're, you're really brave, um, I won't do this with opposite gender, you can ask them, well, have you ever lusted against anybody? And if they're honest, they'll say, well, yes. And again, same passage, Jesus says, if you have lust in your heart, then you've committed adultery with that person. And so you've gotten that person to, to admit themselves that they are a, a lying thief, an adulterous murderer at heart. Um, you can go further with the Ten Commandments and get them to expound the fact that they've blasphemed against God, they've disobeyed their mother and father, and this is all by their own admission, just using the law to, to point out the fact that they, they fall short. And then at that point, you turn and you ask them, well, so based on, on your admission, you've done all these things, do you think that you deserve heaven or hell? And <laughs> it's crazy how many people will still say heaven, and they'll appeal to God's mercy, to Jesus' love, right? Because often these are the same people who disassociate God from the God of the Old Testament, from the God of the New Testament. But you can point out the fact that um, they have fallen short, and that God is a just God, as Jeremy was mentioning, and he is required to uphold justice. If he was not to uphold justice, he wouldn't be a good judge, and he is the most righteous judge. Um, again, going back to a, a courtroom scene, that's just a human judge, and so we can paint a picture for a, of a courtroom scene and then appeal to God, who is the, the all-righteous judge of the universe. Um, and then after that, you can ask them, well, does it concern you that you fall short of God's glory, that, that you deserve hell? And that's where you introduce the cross of Christ and uh, the repentance and faith that it takes to come to him. So that's just one method that really emphasizes the, the law in the gospel presentation. Anna, you had a question. It is indeed. Yeah, Jesus did that first, though, so I can't take the credit. All right. Um, I want to do a bit of a, a group project here and just do a little bit of brainstorming with you guys on different methods, different ways that we can or have presented the gospel individually or as a church. What are different ways that we have or could present the gospel to people? Yes.
Okay. So, yeah, every time that we are sharing our faith, we should be quoting Scripture because, again, that is authoritative. That's where we get our truth. We are not arbiters of truth in our end of ourselves. So we need to appeal to Scripture. Um, and, and you mentioned um, LDS missionaries or other missionaries. So that is a, a great avenue that, um, that works for our advantage because these are people who are often coming to our door and we fundamentally disagree on, on who God is, on, on what the gospel is, and, and we have a, a love and a compassion for these people, but they're coming to us, and we have an opportunity to share with them our understanding of the gospel. What are other mediums that we can use to share with people? How do we engage in gospel conversation with people? Anna. Oh, general conference. Yeah. All right. So just hanging out. All right. Hanging out. That's good. Yeah. Um, you have some kind of trouble or, or catastrophe in your life. We have no lack of that today, right? Um, people are a lot more willing to, to listen. They lost a loved one. People, when when death is introduced into their, their life, they're thinking about death a lot more. When um, they, they have something hard that's going on, they're wondering, well, where is this God who is all-powerful, who is all-loving? Why is there there's something that's bad happening to me? So I shouldn't talk and try to write at the same time through hardships, you said. <laughs> All right. Yes. Yeah. So not just when other people have hardships, but when you have hardships too, you can use that as an opportunity to show that you have a, a grounded hope in Christ. That's good. Travis. Yeah. Just just bust out. What do you mean? Yeah. Yeah, just get awkward. I'm, I'm good at getting awkward. So we can say door-to-door, -door, right? Because where do we find these people? You can go knock on their door. And in that case, I would maybe recommend telling your, your name instead of just, hey, Jesus. But, hey, my name's Travis and Jesus, right? Um, or um, I know that, what's your name? Joseph. <laughs> Has, has gotten kicked out of stores or going into grocery stores and just talking to people. So store-to-store -store evangelism, right? Um, and then somebody else back here. Yes. Yes. Yeah. 
Yes. Social media. That's a, a great one. Um, and then art, that could lead us to a, a gospel conversation. Um, or you could write something on there somehow, I guess. But um, we we have to speak words. And and so, yeah, that's a great medium. Social media, that's that's all about speaking and, and clarifying and discussing. On again. Yeah. Yeah. So anytime a, a holiday is coming up, you can just ask somebody, so, hey, Mother's Day is coming up. What are you doing for Mother's Day? Um, and then that gets you started in that conversation or talking especially about religious-based holidays, Christmas, Easter. Uh, what What is Easter? What do, you, do you celebrate Easter? Do you believe in Easter? All right, let's do a couple more and then we'll move on. Yeah. Yeah. So living in submission is that First Peter three or Second Peter three first? So living in submission, First Peter three. So um, yeah, by by the way that you live, leading somebody to to question and to be changed. Travis and Jeremy. Travis, Joseph. And Jeremy. All right. Um, yeah, Mark Dever, the guy that we mentioned before, he said that um, being a pastor, I think this was in that other personal evangelism book, he said being a pastor, he has a hard time getting out and engaging with people because uh, he's really rubbing shoulders with Christians like pretty much every day. So he made a habit of going to the same restaurants, frequent frequenting the same restaurants or the same gas stations or whatever so that he could build the relationships with those people. He could have ongoing interaction with the same waiters um, or, you know, whoever it is that the cashier, those types of people. So building those relationships with people in the community. Jeremy. Yeah. Amen. Um, and for those of us who have kids, we need to do that with our kids too and not expect somebody else to, to train up our kids or to share with them. But really, that's our responsibility to share the gospel with our kids. We need to be doing that. Um, yes, Renee. I'm bad with names today. Yeah. All right. Amen. So people on corners, and that doesn't just include people asking for money, but um, I, I haven't been up to, to Salt Lake lately, but there's a lot of protesters up there, right? Um, when I lived up in Ogden, there were often people out on the corner that were 
protesting some kind of cause, you know, the, the earth is burning up or um, save my kitten kind of thing. Like those people are out there and they're ready and willing to engage. And so we can go and we can engage them with truth. Uh, the people at, at Walmarts or whatever that are sitting there trying to sell you direct TV, they're ready to have a conversation. So why don't we take the time to have a conversation with them about something that matters? Sometimes that means sitting through a spiel for five minutes, but I think the gospel is worth it. All right. Um, we're just going to kind of cover to surface level the rest of your outline, so I don't know if we'll really follow it. Um, but I did want to point out that ultimately we are not the decisive factor in evangelism. We are not the decisive force in whether or not somebody comes to faith in Christ. And if we have that perception, then we can really kind of get down on ourselves. Um, if we think, oh, man, I have the, the wrong method of of sharing my my faith, then maybe we will explore other methods that, that aren't biblical. We'll try to win people with with something that is not a, a godly way to do that. Or, as we mentioned before, we will compromise and we will change the gospel itself. Well, when I mention hell, people get angry. So I'm not going to mention that in my gospel presentation. Or if people are responding, then we can think, oh man, that, that's really the right method or I've really got it down. God is the one who draws people to himself. God is the one who has to, to do a work in somebody's heart. People are dead in their trespasses and sin. They're not, they're not hurt. They're not sick. They're dead. And God has to regenerate them. He has to renew them and give them new life. We love because he first loved us. And so while we have been given this ministry of reconciliation as ambassadors of Christ, uh, it's not our our work that saves somebody. And so we have to recognize that. Will somebody read that passage from 1 Corinthians 3, 5 through 7? The one I handed to you? Yes. Amen. And then 2 Corinthians 3, 5 and 6. Amen. All right, so I got this quote here from John Stott. He says, To evangelize does not mean to win converts but simply to announce the good news irrespective of the results. And so even if we don't see people responding, if we don't see people coming to faith in Christ, that doesn't mean that we're off the hook. We can say, oh, I'm not a good evangelist, so I don't have to do this. Um, Even if we're not some kind of missionary, if we're not a pastor, we've all been given a responsibility. We've all been given a call and a command to go out and to evangelize, to share our faith, uh, to be representatives of the King. Um, 1 Corinthians 4, 1 and 2. Who's got that? Amen. We've been given a trust or responsibility and we must prove faithful. Ephesians 5, 13 through 16. Does anybody have that? All right. 
Yep, Ephesians 5, 13 through 16. So the context of that is talking about our, our personal holiness and we, how we are to um, exude light. But that really ties in with making the most of the opportunity. We in, of ourselves are not light. We're not good, but we have light residing within us. We have Christ residing within us. And as his ambassador, as his church, we are to go out and to make the most of every opportunity. All right, uh, quickly, let's brainstorm a couple of conversation starters, different ways that we can engage people in conversation. Um, one of my favorite ways to engage people in conversation, simple, um, is just to ask somebody, how are you doing? How are you doing? Good? All right. What about you, Joe? How are you doing? Yeah, how are you? You're good? All right. Travis, how are you? Solid. All right. Probably not the best context, but often when you ask somebody how they're doing, they will respond. They'll ask you how you're doing. <laughs> um, and I like to respond by, man, I'm, I'm better than I deserve. And often that will lead into a conversation. Dude, what do you mean? Like, you're, you're a good guy. I think you did. Why, why don't you deserve something? And then you can jump into, well, man, I'm a, I'm a vile, wretched, wicked sinner. By nature, I'm a, I'm a child of wrath. Did you know the Bible says that we're all enemies of God? Um, and, and I'm blessed to be sitting here having this conversation with you. That's more than I deserve. And even beyond that, Christ has, has reconciled me to himself. He has redeemed me from this curse, from this state. Um, you can ask somebody, um, somebody who you know to be religious. Hey, I know you go to church, right? What, what's your favorite thing about God? Um, and just that simple question will get people talking um, and give you an opportunity to share with them. What do you say? Yeah. Or if we're talking to a religious person, a lot of times we don't know how to respond when they celebrate a baptism or sending off a missionary or something like that. We're just kind of like, I can't affirm this, but I don't want to make you feel bad. playing the student a little bit. Well, teach me. Tell me tell me what you believe. Yeah, that's good. Again, weighing the gravity of these things, we're talking about people's eternal destiny. Um, I think we can be a little bit uncomfortable. We can take that risk, that gamble, to have people think, that guy's weird. Um, they probably already think you're weird. So just, yeah, let them know and, and share with them that you care. 
even if I've had many atheists tell me, like, I, I completely disagree with you, but thanks for stopping and, and sharing with me. Because the worst thing we can do is to not share. If we truly believe what we believe, then for us to not share the, the truth of, of Christ, the, the remedy of sin, is hateful. It's hurtful. All right, so as we wrap up, I just want to run through a couple of questions, reminders to get you guys to think and kind of evaluate where we're at in our personal evangelism. Um, are we praying for gospel conversations? That's something that we should be doing on the regular, praying for our gospel conversations, praying for the people that we've had gospel conversations with, praying for each other as we go out into the world together to have gospel conversations. Um, again, we're not doing this on our own power, but on the power of God. Are we praying for these? Are we sharing the gospel with our own kids, with our own family? Things that we've already mentioned before. Um, not neglecting those who are living underneath our own roof, but taking advantage of those opportunities. Are we getting out regularly? Um, as I mentioned, Mark Dever does. Are we going out to um, McDonald's? Are we going out to, to different places and, and seeking to engage people and, and looking for those repeated, um, I don't know, different opportunities that God has placed in our life to, to build those relationships. Um, and then are we taking advantages of the situations that we're in right now? I remember that when I was younger, um, probably your age, Walker, I was constantly thinking, man, I, I wish that I was older so that I could have more weight when I talk to people and they could actually um, listen to me and, and I could share the gospel with people more effectively. But now I look back and I'm thinking, man, if I was Walker's age, then I could say whatever I want. People wouldn't care because... Because that's how people are. We, they, they look down on you when you're young, and they shouldn't, but you can use that to your advantage. Um, what area, what stage of life are you in now that you could use to your advantage? Maybe you are on the other end of the spectrum, and you're retired. You have more time. You have more um, freedom to, to engage in evangelistic conversation. Um, are you sharing the gospel with right motives? Uh, that's a, an important thing. We need to check our heart. Are we just looking to... Uh, get favor with the church, with the pastors, with the people that are in our circle over here? Are we simply trying to appease God by, by what we're doing? We don't want to be doing that. Um, and we definitely don't want to be winning an argument or building up our own confidence saying, yeah, well, I'm right and he can't defend his face, so, so I'm smarter than he is. But are we actually going out in a desire to honor our king, to win those who are lost to, uh, to Christ, to to pull back those who are staggering towards the slaughter. That should be our motivation. And then are you causing a stir? Are you upsetting people? Because as Jeremy mentioned, that's what the gospel does. That's what, what Christ does. That He came not to unite, but to divide. Um, the gospel is divisive. The cross is foolishness of those who are perishing. And they're going to look at us when we're preaching the cross. They're going to think that we are foolish. And it's okay if people think that we're foolish. But if we aren't causing some kind of tension, some kind of strife, I wonder if we're truly preaching the gospel. Let me close by reading Titus 2, 11 through 15. It says, it's Paul writing to Titus. He says, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men, instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires, and to live sensibly, righteously, and godly in the present age, looking for the blessed hope and appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from every lawless deed and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, zealous 
for good deeds. These things speak and exhort and reprove with all authority. Let no one disregard you. God, we pray that we would be able to do these things, that we would speak and exhort and reprove others in all authority of your word, that we would have a passion and a care and a love for those who are lost, those who are enemies of God, and that we would do what we can to point them to the Savior, that we would do everything you've given us the ability to do to point them to the truth of your word. God, I pray for everybody in this room that we would have uh, a true understanding of who you are ourselves and that we would then take and share that with others. God, we love you and praise you. Amen. Yes. Um, yes. So next week, we're going to be back in here and we're going to go over evangelism again. Uh, same time, 9.30 to 10.30. And then the week after that, we're going to be splitting up into two classes. Have we figured out the rooms for that yet, Jeremy? All right, so we're going to have um, we're going to have a class on Romans, the the book of Romans, and that is a great class. Um, it's a great book. I don't know if a class is great because it hasn't happened yet, but the book is great, and so I'm guessing class is going to be great. Um, and the other class is going to be on systematic theology. And last time we split up in two different Sunday school classes, we had one group that was in uh, systematic theology. Um, and I would recommend that if you were in that class last time that you come to Romans this time. And if you haven't been to systematic theology in a while, then I would recommend that you come back and you brush up on your systematic theology because um, that's important. So that's what we're looking at two weeks from today. Next week, we'll be back in here evangelism. Two weeks from today, splitting up in two classes, one Romans, one systematic theology. All right, we got about 15 minutes. We'll start back in here at 1045.